The Cappuccino Podcast brought to you in association with Tactical Solutions. For all your tactical solutions, check them out at www.tactical.co.nz. It's that time again, so grab yourself a cup of joe and get ready for the Cappuccino with Constable Brian. So my guest today for the Cappuccino podcast is Bridget Traxillo. Bridget has been a deputy sheriff. She's been a member of a narcotics unit. She's also been a SWAT team member. She's currently a attorney and also the CEO and founder of Protective Wellness. She's also a yoga teacher and most importantly, a wife and a mom. So my great pleasure to introduce and welcome Bridget Traxillo to the Cappuccino podcast. Okay, so it's a very big kia ora to Bridget Traxillo. Um, Bridget, we start the podcast like lots of other podcasts do, but ours is with a little bit of a difference because we have the speed round uh, dedicated to what I believe is the mm-hmm. world's best police movie, Speed, with Keanu Reeves, who also happens to be John Wick, Bill, Bill and Ted. We just keep going on and on and on. So the first question for you is, because we like to do this thing in New Zealand where we find out where people's families are from, where does the name Truckzilla come from? Because you must get asked, how many times a day do you get asked, to, how do I pronounce that properly? Oh, all the time, which is surprising. But, but I live in Texas um, in the U.S. And, and so not surprisingly, people say Trujillo a lot. Um, but my husband's family is originally from Spain and way back. So there's actually a city just outside of Madrid called Trujillo. And that's where their family originated from. But they, they immigrated out of Spain years ago my family i think my husband's family can trace it back over 250 years um but the long story of it is that it used to be trujillo and somewhere along the lines they replaced the j with an x um so it goes way back but my maiden name is barragona which is straight up sicilian like one generation removed so it's much easier to trace (laughs) that's easy right okay have you ever experienced something to this day that you can't explain I mean, yes and no. Uh, you know, there's that. I feel like if you've, if anybody that's a cop out there can definitely identify times where they've had the spiny, tingly senses happen and like you don't really know why, but something's wrong. I mean, one, but, and then other times like you're doing something as that deja vu, like this, like yeah. I swear I've never done this before, but I feel like I've really done this before. So it's it's probably one of but one of those two things. Yeah, it's a glitch in the matrix, as we say. Oh, hey, Keanu reaches near. Yes. Yeah. Um, your coffee choice, yeah. your drink of choice. If we were in the patrol car and we were doing this in New Zealand, what would you? What drink would I be bringing you? Black coffee, straight up. Oh, amen, sister. Or decaf, depending oh. on what time of the day. I love coffee, but I just can't have that much caffeine. So. But straight up black coffee, I, I love. It makes me truly happy in my um, soul. Awesome. Now, the question I ask every cop or every uh, ex-cop, the best cop movie of all time, in your opinion, is what? Um, I joke around and say that it's G.I. Jane with Demi Moore. Um, if people ask me what made me decide to become a cop, and I always joke and say it's because I watched G.I. Jane and and then I always quickly say, no offense to all the actual Navy SEALs out yeah. there, because that's a tough job. But um, And he said movie, but I mean, I, I'm a big fan of uh, the original Law and Order, um, you know, going from the cop to the legal side, which kind of works for who I am today. All right. So that, you've kind of answered my next question, which was, now that you're a, a lawyer, amongst other things, the best lawyer or sort of court drama movie of all time is what? Gosh, I still love Law and Order. And if there's like a law and order marathon on, if I'm not busy with my kids or whatever, I will definitely get sucked into it. I'm a sucker for anything that's like, a, has a tough chick in it, not surprisingly. So if like Tomb Raider was a cop movie, that would be perfect because she's a total, is this G-rated? She's to- really tough. Uh, look, she's a badass, um, you can say it. She's a badass. Okay, yeah. I just want to make sure. Yeah, total no, badass. Yeah. And I, just, I love stuff like that. Yeah. All good. Um, what was the last book that you read? I love reading, and I try to read 
at least a book a month, if not two. And some, but I get really obsessed about it when I do it. So I'll, I'll ignore my kids. I ignore my husband and everything. I, I just finished reading this series, this three book series by Nora Roberts that not surprisingly was this tough chick that sort of had magical powers, which would be a perfect world for me. Um, but I'm also reading right now a book called, um, oh shoot, it's by Dr. Mark Hyman um, about the importance of the food we eat and how that we we're being tricked, like waylaid and, and tricked of ever needing all this crap food and all the problems that that causes. So, but that book takes me longer to read. So yeah. Yeah. I need a, I need a fun book, but the, the Nora Roberts one is, it was really fun. Awesome. All right. If you could only listen to one album, for the rest of your life, what would it be? So people can't see this video. When you ask them this question, surely everybody makes a face like, oh my gosh. The <laughs> yeah, they do. Life. They do. Yeah. Um, uh, gosh. Okay. It would either be Diana Ross's greatest hits or the Fine Young Cannibals or the soundtrack from Good Morning Vietnam. There you go. Awesome. Um, and FYI, I think the lead singer of the Fine Young Cannibals now lives in New Zealand, just quietly. Um, oh, well, there you go. Okay. All right. So now I know that you've been to New Zealand. So what's the first thing that you think of when you hear New Zealand mentioned? Cheap. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or that you guys have a much lower crime rate than, than we do. Um, and that you have no snakes. Yep. Is that that's, still true? That's still true. Yep. We still don't have snakes. Um, do you collect anything? Uh, I think if I were to say I collect anything right now, it would be things that organize because I am a sucker for like the home edit show or the um, oh, that condo, Marie Kondo show on Netflix and so now I'm obsessed and my and my second daughter my middle child loves it too so yesterday I, I organized something under our kitchen and my when my daughter got home I was like can't wait to see this and I opened up the cabinets and she was just as excited about it as me so I would say right now I have I collect ways to organize perfect and whenever anybody mentions Marie Kondo the first thing I always say to their children is don't sit still for too long because otherwise mum will organize you and put you somewhere in a yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, final question yeah. for you. Um, what's the favorite app, your most favorite app on your phone? Gosh, uh, these are good questions. And these are not the questions that you asked on the other episodes. So you're oh, really no. throwing me for a loop. Um, well, right. I guess the app I use the most is this app I use for exercise and nutrition called Faster Way, but, um, other than that, I would say it's probably something not favorite but things i get to the most are social media and only because i'm a business owner yeah otherwise i would ban all social media yep I, so. I hear you i hear you so let's wind it, wind it back mm -hmm. a little bit how the hell does somebody who graduates in environmental <laughs> horticulture from the university of florida become a cop because let's be honest when you finish your, well, you really and you've got that that uh, diploma or degree it's the degree and your mum and dad yeah. must have been over the moon and gone, you know what, she's going to become maybe a park ranger or a market gardener or something really <laughs> impressive. And then you say, actually, I want to become a... How, how did that happen? Well, that's, that's funny. You have done your homework. I am so impressed. Um, I was in my fourth year of engineering when I quit school and went to New Zealand by myself. And my dad was helping me with some things and he had bought me this car but I mean just it's not a fancy car and living in Florida in the summers the car had no air conditioning so it was nothing I would go to work and like I'd have to change clothes because I was so sweaty but it was a car and he was so mad at me he drove up to Gainesville took the car back sold it and we didn't talk for almost a year so hmm. when I came back I just did not was not going to go back in engineering I I'm a firm believer that life's too short do what you know, like figure it out you might have to work hard and, and do the work but but do what you want to do and so I knew that if I went back to college and I, I knew I should should and needed to do that but it was not going to be in engineering um, but I was in agricultural and biological engineering so I wanted to stick with that field because I've always wanted something that kept me more outside rather than an office job and look at me now I'm an attorney gross but um 
so I chose environmental horticulture because I had a friend that did it. It seemed not so bad. And they accepted all of my maths and sciences as electives. So all I had to do was take the core classes. And so I was able to finish it in a year. And then I was getting ready to graduate. And I thought, holy crap, I don't want to do this for a living. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so it sounds so cheesy, but I'd literally watched G.I. Jane. I thought it would be cool. It required me to have a job that required me to be really physically fit. And as we all know, the, the, the job of law enforcement doesn't really, but I didn't know that. Mm. And so I just, just started thinking about it and like that thing would be cool to require, like I was, I would exercise. I always exercise anyway, but I thought it'd be great if I could have a job that required it. And I'm a firm believer in right and wrong, black and white. And like, if you break the law, you should not do that. And I wanted to be able to help. And of course we can't prevent it, but you know, I just wanted to be on the right. I wanted to be on the, the law, rule of law side. So I told my dad one day I, was, I wanted to be in the FBI or DEA. In order to do that, I needed to become a cop. And that was the beginning of my dad's, like, probably getting all of his gray hair. <laughs> so, you, yeah. I, it was crazy. I literally if I graduated. Yeah, graduated. Go ahead. Can you remember his reaction? Because I've spoken to lots of fathers when their daughters have said, uh, my daughter wants to become a cop. Yeah. Can you talk to me about it? Um, what was it? Was it worry? Was it anxiety? Or was it, oh my God, just changing a career again? I think that I mean, he didn't really know what to think when I told him that part. But, you know, I did my due diligence on it. I, I went and met with the sheriff's office and I did some ride along. I talked with people. I did a couple ride alongs, which were eye opening because I was, you know, I live in middle class mm -hmm. white America and didn't see a lot of stuff. And uh, it was, you know, the first couple ride-alongs, they were always at night and saw the domestic violence. And the, the to me, it's the, the domestic violence was hard, but then the stuff you see with kids is hard. Um, and it was eye-opening. Um, and then I chose to do it anyway. But really, it's when I tried out for the SWAT team that my dad really kind of lost it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can understand yeah. that. I'm a dad and I can completely understand that. So like you said, you do some ride-alongs for the Sheriff's Department. Um, can you explain to us what Gainesville looks like and some of its problems? I'm pretty sure because I've spoken to cops in Texas and New York and the Yukon and um, Toronto and Vancouver, Calgary. The problems are always pretty much the same worldwide. Um, can you explain to us about mm -hmm. Gainesville and maybe some of its problems when you started off patrol? Well, yeah, so a typical, you know, college town. Um, outside of Gainesville, we're about two hours north of Orlando. And um, so once you get outside of Gainesville or Alachua County, or so I worked for the Alachua County Sheriff's Office, it's, it's very rural. So until you go south to Orlando or, to you know, southwest to Tampa or northeast to Jacksonville, where you get to the bigger towns, in between there, it's just a bunch of rural counties uh, and cities. And so being with the sheriff's office, which we had Gainesville inside our county, and we could do anything inside of it. In Florida, we had all the powers, uh, you know, patrol, arrest, search warrant, all of that. And so um, our warrant guys, I mean, lots of different ways. And so I wasn't, I was allowed to do whatever I wanted inside the city limits in Gainesville, but also we had the whole county. So the, the dichotomy, the, the difference of being in Gainesville, where you have you know, businesses and drugs and stupid college kids. And then the county were very rural where you start to have things like that, you know, they were having meth labs and things like that. So, um, but but for the most part, Gainesville and the University in Alachua County, is, it's a college town. Um, so it's mostly stupid college kids stuff. Yeah. All right. Okay. So you do some time on patrol and then you go to narcotics mm -hmm. and the organized crime unit. So what was your reasoning behind that? Because, I mean, lots of people... And dare I say, they, they do patrol and they stick patrol for five or 10 years. But you were sort of like, right, I'm going to narcotics and I'm going to do organized crime unit. Was it something that you'd thought of when you graduated um, and became a patrol member or you were just? Well, I knew that I, at the time I thought I want to do FBAR DEA. I wanted the federal level um, or at the minimum the state level. But my goal was FBI DEA, something like that. And so when I got into patrol, and then I started, if I thought, well, if I wanted to DEA, the narcotics, I want that on my resume. And so it was strategic in the sense that I was trying to, to get the right things in my resume to be, um, uh, so that the feds would be interested in me. Because when I, when I was trying to 
get to the federal level, they quickly told me I was too young. I didn't have any specialty. I couldn't speak a foreign language. I wasn't an accountant. I wasn't an attorney. So then I just needed experience. And so they literally told me, call us back in your late 20s. I think it's this lady I talked to. I was like, okay. So wanted to make sure I got the right kind of experience. And then quickly I saw in patrol that there are not a lot of very proactive individuals in patrol or, or I mean, that, and that's depending on where you are and what shift mm -hmm. or whatever. But, um, and then there was an opening in the narcotics unit and they had no females in the narcotics unit. So I saw that for sure as an opportunity. Um, and then I joke and say that I got it. And I spent the next year's but next three years buying crack for a living most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. A strange existence. All right. So after the your first year mm -hmm. there, you post a encouraging tryouts for the SWAT team. What was the attraction there? And how rigorous was your selection process? Because at that stage, and we know that you've passed, but at that stage, you how many other females were applying? Because you were the only female to actually make that SWAT team or there more? Nobody, no female had ever tried out. In fact, the morning of our tryout, you know, they call us out. We get there very early in the morning. And the first thing we did is, I think it was like a two mile run. And I was scared for that. I was like, oh my God, these guys are going to sprint and it's going to be so hard. And I definitely, you know, I've worked out a lot, but I didn't know if this was going to be like really elite level sprint for two miles because most people can't do that. Mm -hmm. And it, really, it, it ended up not being that bad. But I remember the SWAT commander at the time yelling out, he goes, Baragona, you're making history. And I'm like, hey, no pressure there. Thanks, <laughs> commander. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, nobody had ever tried out before. And, and it was twofold. One is, okay, I really got to be in good shape for this. That'd be cool. And then second, I'd really believe that I could do it. And third also is that it would make me, you know, that much more marketable and interesting to the feds. Mm, yep, definitely. And now like most groundbreaking officers or people that take on groundbreaking um, adventures or exploits, um you were met with a bit of resistance it would be fair to say um from your SWAT unit yeah. team members um I've heard some of your podcasts and I've read some of the stories just so that our listeners have got some idea of the and I'm going to say it the shit that you had to put up with can you give us one of the stories I know that you were put on paper multiple times for indiscretions that other people uh, would have just overlooked if it had been a regular SWAT team member but can you just give us an example of some of the the bullying and the crap that you had to put up with when you were on that team? Yeah. Um, it's just, it, and you hit it, is that, um, you know, I wasn't perfect and I, and nobody is. So everybody makes mistakes. And that was the hard part about it for so long is I would make a mistake and I would just say, okay, you're right. I made a mistake. I can do better. Next day. Okay, you're right. I made a mistake. I can do better. But then after a while, I kind of, maybe after about a year of it, I thought, okay, gosh, like, can't you just leave me alone for a little while? And then, and then you know, but okay, you're right. I'm not perfect. I'll keep trying. Gosh, darn it. I can do it. And then, then after about two years, I was like, okay, F all of you, what is going on? So, you know, I would get anything every second. One time I forgot to lock the door on the SWAT van in our, in our secure compound. And they wrote me up and gave me six months, something. I mean, another time I was, I didn't have a car ready for something. And my SWAT commander was also my, my narcotics lieutenant. Um, so every it was everything. And one time I forgot I didn't get a car ready for a buy for the next morning, but somebody else did it. But because I didn't do it, he gave me, I can't remember if he gave me 500 mountain climbers or if he wrote me up again. It was just again and again and again. And eventually I went to him and said, well, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was if you've been a cop long enough or on this planet long enough, and we've had obviously the Uvalde situation in Texas was horrible. But before that, of course, we had the Sandy Hook shooting. And there's the one in Florida that I can't remember right now, but the, the Columbine shooting yeah. um, years ago. And, and that was the 90s. And so when I was coming in, I started in 2000 and all we, we would train active shooter situations all the time. And so it was summertime and it was a school in a not so good part of the county, but the school was empty. So we were training um, and then open that can of worms on what it's like to the, those kind of situations. But we, we came out, we took a break. I came out and my sergeant, 
a team leader on the SWAT team who was also my sergeant on narcotics unit, who was always, always writing me up for something. Always, always, always. And I came out and because he's a team leader on SWAT, he has more gear than I do. And he had Benelli shotgun. He had an AR-15. He had flashbangs. He might've had grenades. He had all the ammo for all the things. I come out of the school that's in the hood, his trunk's open and a window on his car is down. So full access to highly destructive, deadly things. And I literally walked out of the school, my mouth fell open and I'm looking around like, does anybody else see this? I, I can't remember if there was anybody else that was there, but I didn't say anything. And I just was like, surely, surely this will be written up. Sure, because nothing I had ever done was that potentially deadly. And nope, nothing. Nobody said a word. Nobody wrote him up. He didn't get 500 mountain climbers. And so I went to my SWAT commander a couple weeks after because I just re it really was eating at me. And I said, look, I'm not asking for better treatment. I just want equal treatment. He's like, what do you mean? So I tried to generically describe what happened without saying who it was. And I never said, he said, who was it? I'm like, I'm not telling you. It's not the point. The point is, leave me alone or bother them as much as you bother me. And he said, don't make problems for yourself where there's not any. And I said, I don't really know what you even mean by that. But he says, well, don't, he just said that. He said it repeated it like three times. Don't make problems for yourself where there's not any. And then a couple of weeks later, I found out that he told the whole team that I was ratting out one of my teammates and they were calling me a snitch behind my back. So it was just, it was just nonstop. And so after two and a half years, I finally was like giving you, giving them the middle finger saying, fine. You can take your team and shove it. And keep in mind, this is in the meantime, I had, we all competed. Let me reflect. We had 21 guys on our team. We competed in SWAT Runup International, which takes place in Orlando every year. Still takes place. It's a badass competition. We would compete it. And I had to compete against my own teammates to make the team. And then, and then we competed um, 74, 76 international teams each team had six people on it and I was on it like I beat all my own guys to make the team and then I competed on the international stage technically and we would place in the top 10 the top 20 so after all this and they're calling me a snitch behind my back and I was like you know what screw yeah. you yeah. I can <laughs> that was hard it was really really hard to leave I bet um now is it true that you were told three times by your SWAT team commander, the only reason you were there was because the captain made me do it? Yes, three specific times, he explicitly out loud, by word, he said, the only reason you're on this team is because the captain made me put you on the team. And the, I remember distinctly the third time, and again, this is after I'd competed on SWAT Roundup, or maybe it was in between the first and second times. But either way, I'd already shown them that physically, I'm more than capable of the job. And... If you know, because if you don't know anything about SWAT Roundup, look it up. It's rappelling and shooting and 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 ziplining and I mean shooting moving targets and I mean it was it was awesome. It was the coolest thing I've ever done. And anyway, I had proven I was worthy, in my opinion. And we were in the gym at the sheriff's office, and we had a great gym. We had a great sheriff who provided for us, and it's just he and I, like nobody else working out. You know, again, me showing I'm dedicated, and. I don't remember why it came up, but he said the only reason you're on the team is because the captain made me do it. And I stopped what I was doing and I looked at him and I said, Lieutenant, you've told me that two other times and I heard you the first two times. And like, I kept working out and want, and finished, but I was like, I, I will not walk out of this room. Um, but it was, it was awful. He did everything he could to not let me participate in as many things as possible. As they do. In hindsight, and with the benefit of age, a little bit of age and wisdom, and for maybe some of the um, female police officers listening now who are trying to either crack into a unit or uh, doing something that's groundbreaking, what advice would, and I mean this very lovingly, what advice would Bridget the Elder give Bridget the Younger now if she was in front of herself and in that situation? Um, well, for sure, num number one, and, and unfortunately, and maybe some way I could find a way to make this not sound cynical, but... Number one is to know and understand they're never going to like you, mm -hmm. quote unquote. And that doesn't, and it doesn't matter. You can still be a valuable operator and you will eventually win them over. Unfortunately, you know, Mars and Venus, I mean, men and women are just different. And if you're on a unit like that, 
you, you are going to be different. You are going no matter what, always. And over time, you can still become a valuable operator while still also being the, the girl or the whatever. So I would say that if I were even telling myself or somebody younger, it's like, if that's what you really want to do, stick with it a little bit longer. But the other thing I would say is do not put up with the shit. Make your claims, document the stuff. And I should have done that because what I learned the hard way is that me keeping my mouth shut didn't make them like me more. Me busting my tail to do a good job and taking on extra tasks just to show them I could do it and show them I could do it didn't matter. And so at the end of the day, now I'm not saying you, can, you might make those claims and they might push you out in a different way that might happen. Because I certainly know women that's happened to very recently because I have women from the U.S., across the U.S. reaching out to me now, um, is that number one, if it's really what you want to do, give it time, but don't be under the illusion they'll ever quote-unquote like you. And then number two, um, and then that's okay, but number two is document the stuff you need to document. Because as an attorney now, as I help people get through work, get through that part of it, or I give them advice on, on walking through what that legal process would be, because they talked about me no matter what I did. They talked about me even after I left. And that I think that was a part initially that hurt really bad. It's like, look, you won. I left. And then they're still talking about me. And it's very hurtful. But, I mean, listen, you expect and you hope your agency is going to be very supportive and loving and courteous and all that. But it's not. And even in a perfect agency, as a female, you're always going to be different. And do it anyway, but do it with eyes wide open. Yeah, not wrong, not wrong. Now, so like every cop, you've seen some horrific things, probably on SWAT team and narcotics, even when you're on patrol, that would have affected you at some stage of your life or your career. What did, I know, and we'll talk about protective wellness um, a little bit later on. What did your self-help routine look like when you were on patrol? Did you even have one? Because so many cops discover it later on in their career. Did you have one or not? Yeah, not enough. Um, you know, again, that hindsight 2020 of, of age and, and so much of what I do now is trying to share this message is, and I'm sure like so many people you've talked to, um, I worked out a lot, you know, had to with what I was doing. And that was a release. I mean, I remember getting, I also, I started doing sprint triathlons and I was, I was not a winner of those triathlons, but you know, the running and the biking and the swimming, and I loved it. I competed in um, the, the police Olympics in Florida a couple times and that kind of stuff was a release for me, but I didn't know enough about, even if I had known that the mindset of going into physical fitness and what that actually can do for your mental health beyond that being like a venting or a release mechanism, but then all the other ways to try and let things go, which unfortunately I really, some of that just comes with time. And I think there's still a way to teach that as people start out, which I don't think anybody does a good enough job at doing that. Um, but my, my routine was mostly, it was really at that time it was just exercise. Cause if I just got to the point where I was just so pissed off, I remember being on the bike one time, just riding harder and riding harder. Now that same thing doesn't work for me now. Cause now I'm 47 and I don't want to get on a bike and ride hard for an hour, but now I know how to meditate. And I know that reading a book helps me do that and all that stuff. But, um, it was exercise back then. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. As a 51-year-old male, I fully concur with the bike rides and the runs. You're like, actually, you know what? I can do half an hour yoga. <laughs> um, so you leave the sheriff's yeah. department. <laughs> you leave the sheriff's department. You decide to become an attorney. So three questions here. Number one was, what drove you to become an attorney? Because did you basically, I know, that, and we sometimes, uh, I've heard of other police departments doing it where, Somebody leaves the police and goes, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going to become an attorney because I know your system inside and out. I will become a defense lawyer and I'm going to make your life tough. Mm. Was that your idea or not? Well, there was certainly a screw you factor in it yeah. <laughs> because I was like, well, screw all you guys. I'm just going to go show you like I'm smarter than you because I'm going to law school. But, um, but no, I, and that, and people used to say that to me all the time. Oh, you could go to the prosecutor's office or you could go, um, be a defense attorney. And number one, I knew there's no way I could be a defense attorney. No matter what I thought about the guys I used to work with, I was never going to be the attorney that helped tear them down. I was never going to be the one that helped make a cop look bad. We all know cops do that well enough on their own. 
Um, but I was never going to be the one to tear apart what they did. Um, and I did try to become a prosecutor. But when I moved to Houston right after I graduated law school, and at the time, that was um, the spring of 2008 when the world was slowing down. Mm-hmm. And even the, go- the, you know, the governments were on freeze, the big firms were on a freeze. And so they said, yes, we think you'd be a great candidate. We'll call you back for a second interview. And it took them seven months, to six or seven months coming back for a second interview or in the meantime I got a job doing in civil litigation um, and pay me more than I would have made at the prosecutor's office and they called me they said oh we're ready to bring you back for your second interview and I said oh well great and I would have loved it but you're six months late Um, and so I left the sheriff's office go to law school had really having no idea what I wanted to do with law degree other than I had put all my eggs in one basket with the law enforcement life. And I, that was what I wanted to do. And I was worried. I mean, I was going to put everything in me into that life. And then all of a sudden it was not that. And, and so I really didn't know what to do. And so I decided law school couldn't be a bad thing. And so I also was hoping that I remember we had an attorney at our sheriff's office that would help with like when we, when we seized people's stuff, cause it was from drug proceeds or whatever. And I, she always gave it back. And I just remember getting so mad about that. Like if I did this job, I could do it so much better than you. And now what I now what I now know about the law is like, Oh, she, okay. There's reasons why she probably did that. But um, I knew no matter what, that I wanted to somehow be involved in the law enforcement world. I didn't, I didn't ever want to do like graduate from call, law school, become a federale as an attorney I was done with that I didn't ever want to actually be a cop again but I wanted to help cops or I wanted to be in that world somehow and so um yeah I knew I definitely knew I did not want to be a defense attorney that was not on the list Mm -hmm. but then I got out of law school and just got a job so Uh, you've you've answered all three of my questions without me giving the other two so that's well played defense um now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, when you when you left when you left the police though were you and I'm going to use these words and you probably won't but were you bitter and twisted for a wee while or not? Oh yeah, and I would say let's see. I left in 2004, so it's been 15. Sec- Good lord, I'm making myself sound old. 17 years does not feel that long, and it does. Um, I would say it's taken me at least. 15, it took me 15 years to start to let go of the stories I was telling myself and the hurt and the disappointment from that and how I was defining that, that time of my life. Cause you know, and I've heard you talk about with other people you've interviewed before, especially when you're in a narcotics unit, you do spend so much of your time hoping nobody finds out who you are, what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's even with friends. I mean, I've, I'm on the narcotics unit and you have friends who smoke weed, especially back then when it was all really illegal um, and I would tell people, like, it's not, I don't make the laws, but it's my job to enforce the laws. And if I'm on the narcotics unit and I'm hanging out with you while you're smoking weed, you're going to make me lose my job. And I work too hard for this. So, you know, I had friends that didn't want to hang out with me. And then you go from from that to nothing. I mean, you know, undercover narcotics and SWAT team and all the training and all the thing to I'm quitting. I mean, it's just 100 miles to zero in a fraction of a second. And so that was really hard really hard and yeah I said I found out even after I quit that they were they were still telling making up stuff and and that was hurtful and as people I thought I mean just put this to make it a little bit worse is so there were a handful of guys on the team that were nice to me or just not outright like you know like my sergeant like he didn't want me there well whatever and so but the handful of guys and this was back when we had pagers I don't know what they have now we had pagers um and so I remember I left, the, I quit the team and I still had the pager because I was still not, I think I was still in the narcotics unit. And two of the guys on SWAT team paged me. I called them back. I was like, hey, what's up? One of the guys said, hey, so I heard you leave the SWAT. And I said, yeah. And he said, and I quote, so does this mean we can have sex now? I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Yes. He says, yeah, well, you're not on the team now, so there's no conflict. This means we can have sex now. And I was like, no. The second one, similar question. So that means we can hook up. And my response to him was, I'm pretty sure your wife wouldn't like that. So for many reasons, no, I was just, I could. And then I was like, well, so then nobody liked me. I mean, even the guys I thought liked me really were only nice to me so that they could hopefully lay in the found work for sleeping with me later. I was destroyed after that. 
Because every, I worked, to say I worked hard, I mean, I joke around sometimes, I said, by the time I became an attorney, I didn't have the, the gumption to work hard like baby lawyers do, because I had already spent all that gumption on SWAT team and narcotics unit. And I was in my 30s when I started as an attorney, all these baby lawyers just being super aggressive. I'm like, oh, stop, in 10 years, yeah. you'll be slow like the rest of us. Yeah. Um, but see, so yeah, it took me a really, really long time. And I would literally say, probably didn't even really start to realize I was doing it until I started the business I have now and doing even more work on studying things like, um, I normally have the book right here, but I don't, the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And one of the agreements is don't take things personal. And I read that book years ago and I'm like, oh yeah, 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 I don't. But then I kind of realized, wait, I'm still doing that. I'm still taking that personal and making a story out of this that I need to let go of. And I, I also, as I discover more about the Stoics, um, that it's, none of it's about you at all. No. And the more you can let go of that and realize people, other people's actions don't have anything to do with me. That's all about them. And that's really, it's really hard and it's helped me let go of it. And it's also helped me, um, I want to say, uh, integrate all aspects of the the lives I've led because I feel like I, I've led like four of my nine lives or so. Like I had this sheriff's office world and I had the law firm world. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that they were so distinct. I mean, got I went through a phase where I didn't want to tell anybody I was a cop. I didn't want I didn't want people to know I was on SWAT. I didn't want to talk about it. I felt like a fraud even if I did talk about it. I, I've passed four bar exams. I mean, there would be times that you know throwing all that in there. You know, for anybody not from the United States, you have to, every state requires a bar exam if you want to practice an attorney. And I've taken four different bar exams and I passed all of them on the first try. You know, that's a big deal, I guess, but I didn't want anybody to know it. I just felt like a fraud all around. And and I realized it was all of that together. And so thankfully in the last two or three years, I've really started to, through a lot of work and self-study is to let it go. Um because it doesn't have anything to do with me and I can still be me and be happy, but it, it takes work Yeah, you're not and wrong. a long time. You are not wrong. You know what you said? You litigate for a number of years. Uh, you've passed the bar exam in four different states. Mm -hmm. I would hate to see your fees for those um, state legislation um, fees that you have to pay every year. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about it. Um, and yeah. then, then you start protective wellness, right? So what was the reasoning behind starting protective wellness? Because let's be honest, as an attorney or a lawyer, you're fairly busy anyway. And then all of a sudden you go, you know what? Mm -hmm. I need to help the brothers and sisters in blue here. Uh, I'm going to start up this protective yep. wellness. When you first started it, what was your idea behind it? And what was the um, reaction from some of the departments when you went, hey, I'm doing this thing called protective wellness? Because I would hate to think of some <laughs> of the reactions you got. Um. So I hated litigation and law firm life. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't use the word hate. I tell my kids don't use it. Yeah. I just didn't like it. I, and I guess maybe it comes back to what I said earlier, where I just didn't want this life or I live in an office and I just did not like it. And um, I, I think I also have a little bit of an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit, to, spirit, so that meaning if I work really hard, I feel like I should be compensated for that versus the lazy people should not. And so if I was busting my butt and helping my boss make millions of dollars, which I was, then I feel like that should reflect my pay. And it wasn't. And I can't stand that. I can't stand laziness. I can't stand people who don't take ownership. I can't stand, you know, hard people, whatever. And so, and also um, I'd, I'd gone from, I worked, ended up working at three different law firms and I kept trying to leave litigation, but it was just, I was making good enough money to stay. And it was about three years ago, the, the law firm I was working for was awful. And finally, I mean, it was, it was making me question whether or not I was even meant to be an attorney. And finally, I was like, this is like, this life, again, life's too short. So I literally told the girl I was working for, I was like, hey, I'm going to phase out. Um, so and over about, I guess, from that fall until about mid-2020, I still got paid. Um, but I was at more actively working on figuring out what protective wellness is. And what I always knew, like I said earlier, is that I wanted to be able to help cops. And I just tried to start figuring out what that meant. Well, then George Floyd happened. 
And that was awful. I agree with everyone that that was awful. But what I got really surprised and mad about was that how people's reaction to all cops after that, that all cops are bad, that all cops are murderers, that all cops. And I just got, I spent two weeks and the people I know, people that know me posting things on social media. Oh yeah. They're all racist. Like, no, they're not. I'm not. Nobody I worked with ever did any of that. I mean, no, I was just, and my husband would say, stop looking at it. I'm like, I can't, it just makes me so bad. And then like I do with most things is I realize, okay, you just got to do something about it. And I realized that even in awful situations, there is an opportunity somehow. And to me that showed, okay, what if cops could be trained more? What if cops could be trained on like personal responsibility more on their own personal life and leading their own life and taking care of themselves? And, and what if I could help them with legal stuff? There? So I just started throwing it all in there because I had done the job. I did get run off in a way where had I known everything I know now, I, I maybe could have stayed longer. Um, and so it was through the George Floyd incident that I realized, okay, I want to do something where I can help these cops find opportunities to take care of themselves. And that's, and then, I, so I've had a much more wellness focus for the last couple of years, but then like you said, you heard me on podcasts and women out there hear me on these podcasts. And now I get women from across the country reaching out to me. So my legal side is starting to pick up, um, in the way that I want it to, I'm very specific about what I will do in legal work now. Um, and, and those things, it's funny how when you really put the right things out into the universe, they start to show up for you. It just would have been nice if they'd showed up like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But would you have been ready for it, I guess, would be the next question. No, I would not have seen it. I wouldn't have seen it. And I wouldn't have been putting the right things out there yet. So everything comes when it's supposed to come. Yeah. And and a shameless sort of self-promotion here. You're going to love this because I uh, guess what you guys would call one of the New Zealand Police's mission statements for its officers is be first and then do. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Right. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah, I, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So now, Nike has a good slogan for a reason. Yeah, exactly right. So what does well-being mean for Bridget? Because everybody has a different angle. Whenever I talk to somebody who's involved in wellness, mm -hmm. I always say to them, what does wellness look like to you? And I must have done, I'm coming up to close to 100 episodes. I think probably 40 of those have been with mm -hmm. wellness people. It's always different. So what does it look like for you? Um, and that's such a great point. And it's like, honestly, sometimes I think I should change that. I should take wellness out and use some other word because it's so broad. And I'm not saying like, of course, if you can really take care of yourself, if, if, if all I do at the end of the day is that I help somebody decide not to commit suicide, then my entire professional life has been successful. Mm -hmm. um, and I call it death by suicide because I do not believe that's a, an action. I believe that that's an illness just like cancer or anything else. It's very, very sad situation that I would love for there to be treatment for, just like you get for any other illness. And, and there is, I just want people to, if you can recognize it as like a, like if you were diagnosed with cancer, you would immediately go do something about it. You, these All cops feel like, oh, I'm struggling. They don't want to say anything because then they feel weak. So wellness, to go back to your question is, um, wellness basic training is what I've really worked on. And I call it that for a reason, because it, to me, it's that you got to set up the foundation of taking care of yourself, your whole self, not just your physical self, because I think obviously all cops should work out, but there's more to it than that. And so taking, having balance in life, number one, between cop life and personal life, because you should yeah. put effort into the personal life, which too much of us didn't have, are not, or didn't do, um, or not doing or didn't do. Um, and then it's it's spending time on your on your mental health. It's spending time on your spiritual health, or and it's spending time on your social emotional life. So making sure you have a social life. Um, cops too often, I think, place judgment on anything they can't control, including their emotions or their reactions. And there's training you can do for that. So I believe that it's the physical, mental, social, emotional, and the spiritual that that's what wellness is. It's all four that you're doing something on doing something in those four areas on a regular, hopefully daily basis. And that's wellness to me. Wellness is not perfect. There's no, I'm not saying that there's nothing perfect about it, but it's when you're just constantly doing it because I like to describe it and have in the past, it's like a, a spoke in a wheel. If you take one of the spokes out 
or you take one lug nut off your tire, it's not going to work right. And it's going to shimmy or it's going to, you know, want, want, whatever. So it's, it's, it's doing things in all aspects of your life so that you can be feeling joy in little bits every day. That's what wellness is. And, that, and that's what I try and do. And like, I'm not perfect. I didn't meditate today. I meant to. And then my accountant called me and I really should have meditated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, but you do what you can do. Yet this morning I worked out and I did a quick walk and that being outside is spiritual to me. So I, I got a, I got a twofer and I got, I got physical and spiritual at the same time. And so that's, that's what wellness is. And that's what, that's what I try and, and, and live each day. Now, if I'm walking down downtown, say Houston, and I happen to see you and I go, Hey, you're the lady from protective wellness. All right. And I say, I watch you on Instagram. You incorporate lots of different stuff or factors into your wellness training. You've got stoicism, you've got yoga, you've got breathing exercise, it makes all the other stuff you do. I'm thinking about getting started into wellness. What's the first thing you suggest I do? And I know that you're going to say, apart from going to visit protective wellness and have a get your download there, which I've done, um, your, yeah. your tactical steps to automating your wellness training. I always say to people, if they sort of, how do I do this? I'm like, go for a walk. And when you go for a walk, listen to the birds sing. Don't listen. Don't put your headphones mm -hmm. on. Go and listen to the birds sing. Um, what's the first thing you'd suggest that they do? Well, I think it starts with taking stock of where you are now. Mm -hmm. And I always say this. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I like to say, you know, it's either Debbie Downer or positive Polly. I'm not saying sit there and be all Debbie Downer about everything that's going wrong in your life. No, but I think that you don't, you're saying, so if you're, that means to me, if you're like, oh, I'm interested in this, that means also that there's somewhere else you want to get to, but you just like the GPS on your phone, you, it can't tell you where to go if it doesn't know where you are. So I really think it's that just take, and I always say five minutes, just spend five minutes writing down what what do you think you would like to work on? Like, is it your anger? Is it your stress? Is it your, I feel sad all the time? Is it, I feel fat? Is it like, I think I should eat better? I mean, write, write it down, five minutes. Just brain dump five minutes. And that, that is a not, and don't attach judgment to it. It is a non-judgmental way, which also takes work. Don't judge yourself of where you start. And then the next five minutes or the next day in five minutes, what would you like to, what would it look like? And, and it's realistic, or even if you don't know that yet, but I think it starts with, okay, these are the things I think I need to focus on because then I think it's all about baby steps because then that allows you like, oh, well, I want to eat better. So tomorrow, instead of stopping by McDonald's, I'm going to take my, I'm going to take my lunch. That's one thing. And it's a 1% thing and it's easy to do. And to me, that's where it all, it's not some big, difficult triathlon marathon thing no it's little bitty things you can do each day because if you can start to feel happier a little bit each day then you're motivated to keep doing things and so that's where i told people to start figure out what you want to work on five minutes and then the next day okay pick one of those things and just do one task so that that's what i always tell people is um you know it's just a little bit and i'm not i didn't create it that's not i didn't invent that no. um but i certainly 100 percent believe in it yeah. Now you've got lots of tips and hints and you do blogs on uh, myprotectivewellness.com. You've got your Instagram account and everything else. Um, you also run the courses from there as well. Now, often people, police officers are notoriously bad for it as well. Um, their excuse is always, well, that's okay for her. You know, she's she's an attorney. She's got like um, bar exams in four states and she's married. She's obviously <laughs> successful and blah, blah, blah. But I've just come off shift and I'm really, really tired and, you know, holy shit lady it's like 3 a.m in the morning i'm just going to grab a big mac because that's all i can find um uh, to me that's a, a crap excuse that just means that you haven't planned or prepared yeah. properly uh, but what do you say to that mm -hmm. when, when people say that to you you know it's, well it's easy for you um yeah sometimes i think i probably shouldn't talk about all that stuff because i am just like everybody else um i really like drinking wine my husband is from New Orleans and the people from New Orleans, I joke, I say like they were sort of drinking alcohol when, in their bottles. They're not really, they're not all breeding alcoholics. I'm just saying um, it's, and it's fun. It's like when you're pregnant, when I was pregnant, I guess no fun to be the only one not drinking, but I, I, it's all I like to drink wine. At the end of the day, I'm stressed. I have three kids. I'm running a business and everybody has their thing. And especially for cops, you think I'm going to come home. I'm super stressed. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just going to have a drink and chill out. Mm -hmm. 
And I needed to reset that. I needed to reset. So I'm actually doing, I just started a 21 day plan and today's day two, where not drinking anything for 21 days. And it's like a little mini pregnancy, <laughs> but, um, and you know, everybody has something and nobody's perfect. I mean, I could, nobody's perfect. Um, and I think it comes back to like, look, I'm, I'm not, I don't, you're not training for a marathon. I'm not trying out for SWAT team. And I wouldn't even want to do that now, but there's things that you can, a little bit of things you can do. So I also, I'm a big fan of like spend five minutes a day writing something. I use the five minute journal by uh, it's made by intelligent change. And it's every day you start off your day with three things, positive, three things you want to accomplish in the day. That's it. And that doesn't take me five minutes. But what I like about that is, number one, we are we are gen genetically designed to be negative human beings. And if you think about it, it's because we used to live in a cave and we have to go find food. And immediately we have to be thinking, where am I going to find food and how, what's going to want to kill me today? So it's run, run, prepare, prepare, negative, negative. So you have to actively do things to overcome that negativity. So when you start your day with something as simple as writing down three things you're grateful for, three things you like. And it could be simple, like, and I do this a lot, I love coffee. We just talked about this. I'm on the perfect podcast for it. That I literally write down all the time to two, three things I write often, not necessarily all on the same day. I love coffee. I'm thankful for air conditioning because I live in Texas mm -hmm. and I love my bed. I mean, I'm, I think I have the most comfortable bed on the planet. Yep. Um, but I've created that. And so starting your day that way, number one, makes you think of something you're happy about, which is great. But then Three things that you want to accomplish in the day. So something like, okay, I really don't want to get that burger, whatever it is that I usually get on the way home for ship, and I know I'm always stressed or my sergeant's an asshole and blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to take this other snack that I like that I'll consider a reward to have with me, or I'll set this thing out on the counter that's there when I get home. And that could be, I'm not saying you're writing a paragraph, I'm saying, you know you don't want to eat that crap when off top shift. So I'm gonna write down three things you want to accomplish today. I will eat that delicious uh, paleo chocolate when I get home mm -hmm. instead of the burger or whatever. Think of something. Uh, the wrap. I'm gonna make myself a wrap so I don't eat the burger. Or and it, you know make it a wrap you really like. It doesn't have to be 100% healthy. It can be 80% healthy. Nice. So um, that's what I really like saying, telling people that is I get. I know there's things I want to do. I want to learn the guitar. I don't. I want to speak Spanish. I don't. I want to not yell at my kids ever. I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. Um, but then I beat myself up when I do. And so I, but then I'll write something down. Like when my kids get home, I will do X so that mentally I'm setting myself up to be ready for it. Yeah. And I think that makes such a huge difference. Not wrong. Now, one thing you and I both have in common is we are massive Ted Lasso fans. Um, so I'm going to ask you this, because every Ted, Ted Lasso fan, I always say to them, Ted oh, has God. some absolute gems in there, and he's done such a great job with that TV show. What's the one job, oh, sorry, what's the one job, what's the one piece of wisdom you've taken from Ted Lasso and gone, oh, my God, that is awesome. Is there anything that stands out for Holy you? Holy crap. You should have prepared me for this because that could have gone through the whole Ted Lasso catalog of <laughs> quotes. And you know you can follow Ted Lasso on Twitter, which is freaking hilarious. Oh, yeah, it's great. And it's great. Um, oh, my gosh, it's hilarious. Um, oh, my gosh, there's so many good ones. And what I love about Ted Lasso is that the show is always putting the positive in the crap. I mean – you watch that show and when it's over, you always feel good. I mean, number one, because you're laughing because mm -hmm. there's no way you can still feel crappy if you're laughing. And then number two, God, it just in the way that they might, my brother taught me this and I do it. I'll do it too. As I've watched almost every episode, at least twice. Um, I put on the captions because the stuff that Ted Lasso says, he says it so fast that I miss some of it. So my my, uh, my husband, I'm like, what do you say? What do you say? I'm like, driving my husband. So I'll rewind it. So I just put the captions on so I get it all. Um, but I, I just think it's that, God, it's just that the way that they put little little funny bits at the end of like 
things that are aggravating. And I just really love that it's just positive. I mean, yeah. and, and and there's other shows out there that are positive, but why is this one so great? It's the way that they can mix in the comedy and the aggravating and the stupid and the funny, you yeah. know, and, and you yeah. feel good about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like there's a one. And, and, that, and that Ted and that goes through a lot in the show. Yeah. You know, he's real with the anxiety and and they, and to me, I think that shows, you know, you can be at this great, amazing job and, even if you're brought there on false pretenses, if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, go watch the first season to figure out what I mean. Yep. Um, and and you can still be real and have crap that you're dealing with at home. And there's people around you that want to help and want to support you and just opening up to people. I mean, it's just so many good things about it. I get chills talking about it. Come oh, on. yeah. I, it's, like, it's just awesome. Yeah. It's, I like I'm saying to a lot of uh, young cops when they start off, I'm like, if you haven't seen Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso watch it. Here's my favorite quote from the show. It's from Walt Whitman, and it's something you should always do in your policing career, which is be curious, not judgmental. That to me is just the best. Yeah. Hello. Okay. All right. So we've got two more questions for you. If I said to you, Bridget, you've got the entire day off, no work, no family, uh, no accountant. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You, you, first of all, you sound, well, Brian, you're telling me lies, but that's all good. What will that day look like <laughs> from, from start to finish? What would it look like? And you can't ever sleep in. You know, I don't sleep in. Um, if I sleep in, if I sleep until something like eight thirty, I jump up feeling guilty. Like I, I'm okay if I. I just I'm kind of waking up with the sun. I don't really care to wake up super. I'm not one of those like Jocko Willink or how he lay his, mm. say his last name where he, yeah. he every morning he posts his workout at four a.m. I'm not one of those. Yeah. Um, but I do like to get up and you know in a perfect world it would be I get up, have a cup of coffee do some awesome workout, you know, again, like 30 minutes, maybe an hour, depending on what it is, but 30 minutes. Recently, I was in a really great routine. I would do a 30-minute workout. I would do five to 10 minutes of meditation, and then I would get going. And, you know, that 30 plus 10 is 40, or 30 plus 5 is 35 minutes, and it's just so doable. And then life happens, and it got out of whack, but I'm getting back into my routine. Um and then it was reading a book, and then probably not much else. Yeah. <laughs> somebody bringing me lunch. Somebody bringing me dinner. Probably at the end of the day, when my husband and I are together, we usually are like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna have a glass, you know, drink something at lunch, and then you take a nap because you're tired, and drink something at dinner." But um, if it was just me, I would in a perfect world is I would wake up, have coffee, have something yummy for breakfast, um, work out. And then read, and then somebody would bring me a really delicious and healthy lunch. And then I would read again. Or if I was somewhere that was like, go for a hike or a walk or something. And then, yeah, the happy hour. I'd be ready for happy hour. Perfect. All right. right. Last question for you. This is the question we always ask most of our guests. The day of reckoning has come for you. And strangely enough, you're lying in your casket. But you can hear everything that everybody's saying about you. What would they, what would you want them to say about you? That's such a great, great question because Stephen Covey has this this in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that the measure of a life is what people will, who comes to your funeral and what they have to say about you, not what you think. Um, A hundred, like, you know, kind, giving, generous, honest, um, hardworking, I mean, integrity is important to me. So I think it's that. I mean, you know, kind but firm and and, and generous and loving. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that's it. I'm going to throw one in there kind, as well. generous, loving, firm. I'm going to throw one in there as well because I think you'd probably want this. I think a picture of you in your SWAT team uniform with your kids saying, look at that. <laughs> at some stage, our mommy was a badass, so that's pretty good. Well, I'd like for them to still think I'm a badass, but I do have <laughs> this little uh, print I brought, bought for myself that uh, that years ago, and I had it at my first law firm, the first law firm I worked at. But it's this little girl sitting with putting on some white cowboy boots, and you're, and it says, "Your your boots might be made for walking, but mine are in case I need to kick your ass." And so I completely love it. Um, you know, I. Kind and generous, but I'm always prepared to defend what's important to me. Yep. And so. on that, 
we say hi to Ra. Thank you very much for your time. I know how incredibly busy you are. Um, if people want to follow you or um, have a look at Protective Wellness, whereabouts should they go, Bridget? Uh, definitely my website, uh, which is myprotectivewellness.com. Um, you can find you know, a blog and information on the, the wellness training course. Um, I don't have it right now, but I do also have the, I was going to put a link to my law firm, but I do, you know, you can find my, you can look up my name. You can find Chuck Solo Law Firm. They're very separate. I have to keep it that way for mm-hmm. the bar examiner people. Um, but I love to help out any female that anybody in law enforcement that needs legal help. Um, and I do have social media, uh, Instagram. I do live meditations or what you call neurological reset for cops because they don't like the word meditation. I do it live every Friday morning and I love it. Um, so, also, I could, I mean, I'd love to offer your listeners and happy to offer a discount to anybody that is listening on the, the training, pro, the wellness training program if they're interested. And I can also provide you a link specific for that. Happy to talk about any, any, any way that I can help for anybody that needs to reach out to me. Perfect. Appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Thanks yeah. so much for this. And I love hearing the accent. It makes me want to okay. come back to New Zealand. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. But please do Constable Brian and I a favour and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next Cappuccino podcast. Real people, real stories.